Good morning. Following up on uh, what Jimmy was uh, during the announcements this morning, if, uh, if you haven't signed up for 101, text or call, email, chat or myself, we've got the sign-up sheets, and we're trying to spread it out so we don't have 20, 30 people in on one sitting. We're trying to cap each session to 10 people or so. And also, if, um, if you're part of attending our Sunday school, if you, if you were in there this morning, we finished the catechism. Next Sunday, we're going to start Sunday school. We'll be going through the Christian doctrine. Um, next Sunday, we'll actually start with the doctrine of sin. So join us for that at 9 a.m. If you're wanting to get involved in Sunday school, get at 9 a.m. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be beginning in verse 17. And this morning, we're going to expound on the life of a believer. You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must actively intentionally strive to set upon our minds of things of the Holy Spirit and continue to conform ourselves, be sanctified in the image of Christ. You know, things like, you know, we need to meditate in his word, remain steadfast in prayer. You know, setting our minds on things above kingdom things, not things of this earth that, you know, will rust and decay and fade away over time. You know, most importantly, we must share the beauty of the gospel to those who still walk in the futility of the world that we once walked. You know, and I want to share this morning in God's word what that new life looks like. In Paul's letter here uh, to the church at Ephesus, it contains practical observations concerning the new life, the new love, the new learning, the new living in Jesus Christ. You know, how if we can apply these practical instructions, we can experience that sanctification that holiness in Jesus Christ. So please stand with me. And again, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you no longer walk, you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you... Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Please be seated. You see, what Paul is sharing here in this exhortation is discovering what the new life looks like. Paul was saying, here's what's been done through, through Christ for you. Here's what the new life looks like. Now, in light of this, Here's how we should be obedient and things we should do for Christ's sake. James 1.22 tells us, We are not doers of the word and not hearers only, for that would be deceiving ourselves. So Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus, but this applies to all of us. The fact that we've been called in Christ ought to motivate us to walk in unity. And the fact that we've been raised from the dead should motivate us to walk in purity. Or as it's written in Romans 6.4, Walk in the newness of life. 
We are alive in Christ, not dead in sins. Therefore, put off the old man and put on the new man. Take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. You see, the world around us, humanity outside of Christ, verses 17, 18, and 19 really describe this here. Walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Since we have been brought into God's, work, God's fold, we are no longer to live as though the world is our home. We cannot live as the world lives because we are no longer of the world. There must be a distinct a disconnect between us, our former lives, and our new lives in Christ. But why? Why can we no longer live as the Gentiles, as non-believers live? They walk in futility of their minds. Verses 18 and 19 explain why their minds are engulfed in such futility, being darkened, darkened in the understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. See, futility, the word, it has many synonyms, and none of them being positive. You know, things like vanity, meaningless, worthless, pointless, useless, ineffective, hopeless. The Christian is not dead, or excuse me, the Christian is not imitating the life of the unsaved people around him, for they are not dead in their trespasses. Those saved in Christ have been raised from the dead, have been given new life, eternal life with him, kingdom hope. Paul explains the difference that the saved and the unsaved, the differences there, the classic description of the natural state of humanity, you know, which each of us are a part or outside of Christ. It's clear, in fact, you know, we can see that more often than not, it's painfully obvious that humanity is unable to repair itself on its own, unable to mend its disappointments, rectify its flaws. You know, whether we look at it on a personal level in regards to our relationships or larger uh, stage, you know, with the nations of the world, you know, societies, governments, attempts at fixing ourselves, you know, over time have proved at best momentary uh, fixes in nature, but not certainly lasting. Thoughts like, you know, maybe if we just educate the people a little better, you know, they'll want to do better for themselves or they won't harm themselves. You know, think about when we go to the grocery store, um, we find warning labels on all sorts of things, FDA warnings, uh, you know, Surgeon General warnings, mattress tag warnings, which I don't understand the mattress tag thing. I'm waiting to pull one off and see if someone comes to take me to jail. I, I really don't understand those. But it's funny, but by and large, I mean, think about this. Forced education is not able to deal with the habitual behavior in the same way legislation cannot alter the darkness of humanity, cannot alter the darkness of man's heart. The heart of man is not changed by acts of government or by bureaucrats in D.C. You know, any endeavor we have to work outside of Christ still beckons us, crying out for the notion that we cannot fix things on our own. We cannot tame our sinful nature. What I believe Paul is saying to these Ephesians is, that man is unable, what we're unable to do in ourselves, God has done. And to this spiritual blindness, a light is shown into the hardness of men's hearts, that the grace and mercy of Christ has come to an impure and unclean world. His light of righteousness, his purity, clarity stands out in stark contrast. You know, for believers, for those in Jesus Christ, the eyes of our understanding have been opened because the grace of God and his mercy 
have been revealed to us. The answer to this, as Paul made clear to them, is in him, Jesus Christ. That in Jesus you are now completely different. You have been made new. The whole outlook of a person changes when he trusts in Christ, including their values, their goals. We talked about this in, in Sunday school this morning. You know, what's wrong with the mind of the unsaved person? Again, their thinking is vain. It's futile. It leads to no substantial purpose. If one does not know the word of God, one cannot truly understand the world around them or understand themselves, their purpose inside of Christ. Our world today possesses a great deal of knowledge, make no mistake, but very, very little wisdom. You know, Henry David Thoreau, I was reading some of his work earlier this week, and I found a quote, and I think he put it beautifully. We've improved means to unimproved ends. We're still sinning, and we've gotten better at it. Paul is saying here that in Jesus, when you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, you've, been re- you've repented of your sins. In Jesus Christ, you are to think differently. You know, it's in Ephesians 2, verses 3, for, 3 through 5. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children of the wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our tres- in trespasses. You are saved by grace. See, we hear this, and he loved us, even, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Jesus Christ. This is the wisdom, the underpinning of what Paul is speaking to them about here. The nature of the church, what it means to be the church, to be in Christ. You were once this because Christ, you have now been made new. And this is because God, he intervened. He gave us deliverance. In other words, what he's making clear is the vast contrast between life outside of Christ in verses 17 through 19 and life in Christ following. And Paul is not unique in this. You know, it was Peter does the same thing, reminding of his scattered brothers and sisters that, uh, you know, Jesus has called them out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. In First Peter, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. In other words, live in such a way that we are to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. There are all kinds of people out there trying to improve the world. But Jesus came to make dead men live through him. Jesus made it clear in John when he said, Father, I ask that you don't take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Followers of Jesus Christ are not of the world as he is not of the world. So the Christian is different from the non-Christian. And if a person is a Christian, then he or she knows that they are different. With that said, non-Christians, those outside of Christ should know that we're different too. In 1 Peter, remember, he says, they are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. You once were perfectly content in that realm, outside of Christ, but through him, not anymore. Because you're not in that realm anymore. You see, what Paul is saying in this section, we are to no longer live as we once did, because now 
we are in Christ. As the old self, which is his terminology here. Because we are no longer the old self, we've become new. That we've been made new in Jesus. There's an immediate contrast shown here. You used to live this way in the hardness of your heart, callous, and engaged in these things. But the Christian cannot pattern himself after the unsaved person because the Christian has experienced a miracle of new life in Jesus Christ. It is not futile life, but purposeful, hopeful. His mind is filled with the light of God's word, and his heart is full with the fullness of God's life. He gives his body as an instrument of righteousness, of God's righteousness, to be used for him and his glory, not for the satisfaction of our own sinful lusts. In every way, the believer should be different from the unbeliever, and therefore the warning here in the text, walk not. The contrast, contrast, contrast is both challenging and at the same time I believe it should be encouraging. Paul reinforced this warning with an argument from the spiritual experience of his readers. But you did not learn Christ this way. Again, the emphasis on the mind, the heart of the believer. You did not learn Christ in this way. He did not say you learned about Christ, but it is possible to learn about somebody and never be saved, learn about Christ. To learn Christ means to have personal relationship with him so that you get to know him better each day, being sanctified, conforming to his image. You know, Chad, myself, you know, we quote many others before us, Spurgeon, Ravenhill, Adrian Rogers. I can learn Charles Spurgeon. I own many of his books, many of his commentaries, but I can never learn Charles Spurgeon because he's dead. But Jesus Christ he is alive. Therefore, we, we, we learn Christ through a personal relationship, through fellowship with him. We've been taught the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. The better we understand the word of God, the better we know the Son of God and the whole Bible being that revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The unsaved man is spiritually ignorant while the Christian is continually being sanctified, refined by the word of God. The unsaved man does not have fellowship with God while the believer grows in personal knowledge of him every day. We have believed the truth. We have received the life. Therefore, we are to walk in the way and not walk after the example of the unsaved world. Our, Christian, our life as Christians can't, can't be explained apart from that embrace, what Jesus has done. In other words, to learn Jesus is to embrace him in all that makes him Christ Jesus. As the Lord, as the King, as our Savior, as our Redeemer, our High Priest. When that begins to permeate a life of understanding of things, unlike the dark understanding of life outside of Christ, it will begin to flavor everything. It will begin again affecting every part of your being, every aspect of your life. When we share our testimonies, how our life was, to put it nicely, a wreck, shambles, you know, before receiving Christ. Lives that were perhaps disgraceful, partaking in horrible things. You know, people that knew us before and after saying, you know, there's something different about us. There is something different. Jesus, Jesus Christ is my shepherd my Savior, my prophet, my priest, my Lord, my life, my way, 
my great redeemer, my advocate, my righteousness, my hope. So what happened? You learn Christ. Looking at verses 20 through 21. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him, have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. Paul's not suggesting that they haven't learned Christ. He's encouraging them to act in keeping with the word that they've embraced and were taught in Jesus. So what, is it, what does he mean here when he says, you know, you've heard him? We hear him in the word. We, we hear him, we're taught in him. Christ wasn't or isn't the only the subject matter, the teacher. He was actually the context of everything we have here in the scripture and his word and everything that's taking place. And if you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. So why doesn't he say the truth is in the Messiah or the truth is in God? He says the truth is in Jesus. I personally believe this was to remind people that they believed in Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. They didn't believe in a philosophy. They didn't embrace some religion. They have not simply exchanged one set of external circumstances for another, but they had an encounter with the living God and the person of Jesus Christ, who was dead and buried and raised from the dead and will return in great power, majesty, and glory. That's who we've come to trust in. He who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father except through me. You know, think about the things we support in this church. You know, why do we support missions around the world? Why do we support uh, uh, organizations like Lottie Moon or missionaries that are, you know, scattered throughout the U.S. or abroad. Why would anybody be interested in sending the gospel out to a world unless they have learned Christ? You have heard him. You have been taught in him. And then you'll find yourself that saying that everybody needs to hear this. Everybody needs to know this. We all go to the world sharing the same kingdom hope. No other name has the power to save. You know, Chad... I love, I love this quote he gives us so often, but it's true. People are heading to hell. And if we are in Christ, if we embraced everything that he is, they should be tripping over us on the way. They need for the secular, you know, the secular person you walk by in the grocery store, that's the same need that exists in the life of someone living in some third world country. It's the need for Jesus Christ as a savior. You were taught in him toward the truth that is in Jesus. It's important again to note that, you know, when we read Paul and we read these letters, to, it's important to understand that Paul's usual reasoning or his logical flow here. And Paul always points to one thing. It's the experience of salvation. It's the experience of salvation that goes much deeper than this, for it resulted in a new position before God. The old man, the former life, has been put away and we can now walk in the newness of life through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 22 and 20 through 24, this is a summary, essentially, of Romans chapters 5 through 8, where Paul is explaining the unbeliever's identification with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. As Christians, we have not simply changed our minds, we have totally changed our citizenship. We have new life in Christ. Therefore, the idea and desires of the old self should no longer control our lives. When he says in verse 23 that part of what is going on 
is the renewal of the spirit of our minds because we need our minds renewed, don't we? There are three words that, if you take notes, I encourage you to write these down. Three words I want you to think about. First, futility. Futility. The futility which is represented by life outside of Christ. Secondly, identity. That the key to dealing with ourselves is understanding ourselves, our position in Christ. And third, and this may be odd, but destiny. The guaranteed assurance for those who have been removed from the realm of futility have a new identity in Jesus and have a destiny that is involved with his righteousness, his holiness, and his glory. If you are in Christ, a radical change has taken place. The old is gone and the new has come. And if the old is gone and the new has come, then there ought to be some indication of that in some way, some kind of fruit. There's a change. Assuming you've heard about him and you were taught in him, we're talking about things in the past tense. As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, which belongs to him. So we've got to put off the old, and we've got to be renewed by the spirit of our mind. And I was helped by reminding himself that Paul does the same thing, essentially, or speaks on the same thing in Colossians chapter 3. This was Paul's argument. You no longer belong to the old corruption of sin. You belong to the new creation in Christ. Take off the grave clothes. And how do we do this? Be renewed by the spirit of your mind. Through Christ, once for all, we have been given new and eternal position in him. And day by day, we must by faith apply what he has given us. Apply his word. The word of God renews the mind as we surrender our all to him. John seventeen seventeen reads, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As the mind understands the truth of God's word, it is gradually transformed by the spirit. And this renewal leads to a changed life. This is why it is important for us as Christians to spend time, intentional time, daily, meditating on the word, praying, fellowshipping with God. You see how vastly different this is from the kind of a conversion story that says, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this church thing. I'm, you know, Christianity doesn't sound so bad. You know, I, there's parts about it I like. It makes me feel good about things. So I find it kind of fascinating. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. It's a radical transformation, and I think the symbol of baptism is as helpful as any. When Paul was writing to the Galatians, he said, as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You've put on Christ. The picture is clear here. When we celebrate believers' baptism, we celebrate the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. You know, believers' baptism, the immersion of a believer in the water, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, this doesn't save them. This is a public profession of their faith. But it's an act of obedience, symbolizing that their faith is in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. and They are repentant of their sins. And they're choosing to turn from their old life, and receive that new life in Jesus Christ. They would be baptized publicly in obedience. People outside of Christ will say, well, you know, look at that. Why are they doing this? It's because they're putting off the old self, and they want people to know that they've changed, that they've had an encounter with Jesus. They're dead to the old self, 
and they're now new in Jesus Christ. It's not that they stop being who they are, but their motivation has changed entirely. They're still so-and-so. They're still the person we know. But their spiritual identity has changed. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, are you going to go back and start the same old junk, that same old stuff, everything you used to get into that marked your life before you put off the old self and put on the new self in Jesus Christ? And we say, you know, we don't do that, but it's not impossible. The world we live in says, what do you care about Christ? What do you care about a Christ-centered marriage? Don't let anybody tell you about this marriage stuff. Do what you want. What do you care about purity? What do you care about a little dishonesty? Before in Christ, our minds have been renewed. We're being sanctified, conforming to the image of Christ. You know, and I talked about this last week, but you see, that's where the Bible comes in. You can read your Bible at home. We have phones, we have tablets, we have apps. Information at the palm of our hands. If you want, you can take your Bible, go up, climb the roof, sit up there. But if you want the purpose of God revealed to you, bring you into community of God's people, the first priority that you might hear is that be in the word of God. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. I believe war is waged on a threefold front against the flesh, the devil, and the world. And it's a continual war. It never quits. All the way from here till we finally close our eyes and open them for the first time in eternity with God. But in the meantime, Paul says, in light of what has happened, in other words, he's saying something that happened in the past now has abiding significance in your life in Jesus Christ. He says, in the meantime, you are being renewed by your minds. Things are different now. Things are different now. Some, something's happened to me. There's a testimony since I gave my heart to Jesus. There are things different now. There's a change. Things I loved before have passed away, but things I love far more have come to stay. In Christ, things are different now. You know, giving your heart to Christ. And again, Paul is saying here, are you going to go back and start that same stuff again? You put off the old self, you put on the new. We cannot hold on to Christ and hold on to our selfishness, to our old ways. And I know the argument sometimes, and we talked about it this morning. Well, Jesus mixed with sinners. He was never mistaken for one. When Jesus mixed with sinners, he was never mistaken for one of them. And our inclination to mix with sinners is to mask the radical difference that is represented and changed brought by Jesus. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Sin's going to hurt. We are to live with Christ in order that we walk through this world that we might be seen differently. The truth of the futility is life outside of Christ. The identity that is represented in Christ and that destiny of all who are placed in Christ into his righteousness, his holiness. I don't know the hearts of everybody here today. I don't know where you stand in relationship to these things, in relationship to him. You know, a few days ago we held a celebration of life service for for our sister Brenda who passed on to eternity. But there was a recurring theme from family that shared something I preached on, something Chad shared, but a recurring theme of hope. You know, not not hopeless hope, not false hope, but hope. You know, material things of this world 
They don't produce hope. Jobs don't produce hope. People can't produce hope. All these things can bring momentary happiness, but not real hope. True hope comes from the one who created hope, and like I shared Wednesday night, the author of hope, God. True hope comes from trusting in Jesus and placing our faith and trust in him. You see, for a believer, death is not the end, but the beginning of eternity and joy and presence of God and glorifying him. And those who are in Christ are witness and testimony should know nothing less than point others to that Jesus Christ, to that same kingdom hope. If you're in Christ, you not, cannot pattern yourself after the unsaved person, the old self. You cannot hold on to the old and hold on to Christ. You cannot serve two masters. Life in Jesus is not futile, but it's purposeful. It's hopeful. We're to guard our minds and be filled with the light of God's word and fill our hearts with the fullness of God's life by nothing less than the work of his spirit. We should give ourselves to God as instruments for his righteousness and not ourselves of our own selfish lust and desires. In every way, the believer is different from the unbeliever and therefore the admonition, the caution, the warning, walk not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is eternal hope. And I'm going to invite the band to the stage, but I was, I was thinking on how to close this this morning. And as they come up and, and close worship, there's something we shared in um, Sunday school this morning. Kenzie's kind of probably cringe a little bit, but this is probably the fifth, 500th time she's heard this, but when I was a teenager, and I, there, we all, all had instances of something like this. I don't know what's happened with fashion over the years, but things that were popular come in, come out. But anyway, I'm in middle school. Everybody's starting to wear not no-show socks, but these ankle socks. My father would not buy me a pair of ankle socks because he said, if you have a pair of socks, you're either going to have the socks or you're not going to have any socks. I'm not going to buy you just part of a sock. So I would sit there in the mornings that I would have gym class, and I would take either these knee-high socks or these calf socks, and I would fold them down up and under my foot. And if they were still too long, I would fold them again so they looked like ankle socks. From the distance, you couldn't tell, you couldn't tell a thing. But the way they were folded, they were uncomfortable. I knew that what they were. I'm walking, you know, one foot's doing this, and, you know, it might have looked stupid. I don't know. But here's the point. I wanted to fit in. I wanted the people to see me that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm with, I'm with it. I've got what you have. Don't look at my sock. You know, we're good. And I folded. Yeah, it was a pair of socks. But how often in our lives, even professing Christians, whether it be at work or in the grocery store, we hear a, you know, we hear a joke, an ill-gotten joke, or you know, we watch something on TV. Well, they only said that a little bit, so we'll just watch further because the story's good. Or, or we're in the car and we're by ourselves and nobody else is around and this song comes on the radio and we laugh and, oh, it's not that bad. Where do we negotiate? You know, I folded a pair of socks so I could fit in. How much do we often fold or stand down on truth of our newness in Christ so that we can fit in, so that we're looked like everybody else. We're not everybody else. If you're in Christ, you are not like everybody else. You've been made new in him. And I pray, unlike Justin at 12, 13 years old, 
You're not walking through life waiting for the next opportunity to fold your socks down just so everybody knows that you're one of them. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we have a few families out this morning traveling. We pray for traveling mercies. Father, we thank you for this time together, your word. Father, I pray that when we get in the word, whether it's here in corporate worship or private, that your spirit renews our minds, that we would continually seek to conform to the image of your son, whom we've placed our faith and trust in. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know where they stand, that have not placed that faith and trust in you, repented of their sins, I pray that your spirit convicts their hearts before it's eternal too, or eternally too late. As it was spoken Wednesday night, we don't know when we're going to leave this world, Father, but we know how we can leave it. And Father, I pray before it's too late, hearts are softened and they're convicted. And people, through our testimony, through our witness, there's nothing we can do to save anybody. But salvation comes solely through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in him we pray. Amen. Stand and worship with us, please.